0: Yo, yo, what's up? I'm Avery and
1: I'm Cherie,
0: and this is Spinning the Vlogs. Yes, yes, we got another episode for you guys. I'm excited to talk about this right now, Cherie.
1: Yeah, me too. As we said for Black History Month, we are going to be touching on a bunch of different topics that impact the Black community. And this week, we are talking about being Black in corporate settings. I was going to say corporate America. But obviously, Adrian is in the UK. And we have another international guest joining us this week. So yeah.
0: Yeah. So without much further ado, we'll introduce Chantal and Will. Hey, guys.
2: Hey, what's going
3: on? It's been in the Block.
2: So happy to be here today. Really excited to talk through this. Let the people know it ain't easy out here. <laughs> We're
0: excited to have you both. Yeah, so excited. So what we usually do, we do a little vibe check. Since you guys are here, we want to include you in that as well. Start off with Chantal.
2: The vibes are good. Well, I've got someone out there cooking for me, which is great. So as soon as this is over, oh i got gosh. a whole meal dating. I'm not mad at that. Yes. We love that. Vibes are really good. You know, contrary to probably some of the things we'll get into on this conversation, work was great this week. So anytime get <laughs> to the weekend and, you know, I'm kind of coming on a high and we got some good weather, Averyan. London, London's oh. been hitting with the sunshine. Yeah, <laughs>
0: 56 degrees, sunshine, Love I was that. like, where are we living? How about you, Will? What's your vibe looking like?
3: Way to rub it in. So weather-wise, it was snowing yesterday in good old New York City. Sure, um, nice. So a lot of my in-person events yesterday had to be uh, virtual. But it's a good vibe. Good vibe over here. Not so good vibe from yesterday's All-Star weekend festivities, but <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure everyone has seen and heard and talked about that. But from a work perspective, it was an okay week in between projects right now. I just got rolled off of a couple projects, so trying to like figure out what's next. But all in all, I'm kosher. Nice, nice. Abe, you want to give a
0: little vibe check as well? My vibe has been pretty good this week. I'm preparing for a presentation at work, so that's been a little in there, but it'll be good once it's over. You know how that goes. But yeah, other than that, the week has been pretty good. Yeah. What about
1: you, Cherie? Great vibes. Immaculate vibes, actually. Had a great weekend with family. One of my cousins came down from Toronto, so I got to hang with her a little bit on Friday. And then we had a Galentine's yesterday with my sister cousins and some of
0: their friends so yeah it was good good vibes all around love it that we're all in this good mood you know so let's just dive right into it how about you guys just give us a brief introduction because we know you guys but the world or our few fans do not know you guys so <laughs> let's do a brief introduction um, and let just tell us who you are and what you do sure will
2: you want to start you want me to start ladies can... first all right. Well, again, it's really good to be on the pod with you guys. My name is Chantel. Um, I work in the customer success department in ad tech. It's about a mid to senior level role. We manage, execute, support clients post-sale to execution um, and really you know, do the best that we can to deliver quality advertising campaigns and bring that detail to the masses. Yes. Love that. How about you, Will?
3: All right. Well, Dennis, Bronx native, currently living in Brooklyn. In the realm of consulting, I work at a big four accounting firm in their advisory practice, focused on large-scale transformations, Oracle, Workday, ServiceNow, in the, the project management kind of side of the house.
0: So. Nice.
3: I have beef with Oracle. So do I. <laughs> yeah. Every time
0: I got to sign it, I'm just like...
1: Another problem.
3: (laughs) Sounds like you need a consultant, you know, so.
1: I think we do. Hey,
3: listen, I I don't know if I could work London hours, but we we can talk.
0: (laughs) It's a U.S. company, so we're good, we're good. Okay, cool. So I guess we'll dive straight right into it. You know, we've all worked in the corporate setting we've all dealt with the ups and the downs of it, but how do you guys really feel about working in the setting? Have you ever felt like you needed to dial back your personality? Have you ever felt like you need to turn down your energy? You know, just not really be who you really are because of the setting you're in?
2: You know, I think I'm already, contrary to, because you know me, so hear me out, I'm a pretty reserved person. So I don't have that much to hide, but what I think... I find I have to dial back a lot is any level of reactions, especially with negative feelings. So if I'm feeling frustrated or I'm feeling disappointed, or sometimes I think we've all been there being angry at a coworker, being upset at something not going all the way through. And I think that you'll find the range of emotion is way more acceptable uh, when you don't have as much melanin. You know, I think there's so much less that people read into it. So I would say that those natural emotions that allow you to walk through conversations those have to be tempered really really carefully in order not to have the wrong perception even if you know you're really good at you know hashing things out talking through problems i think there is always that margin that some of my coworkers love to take or any of our coworkers love to take a little bit further and use their imagination to put 20 on 10 So Mm -hmm. definitely I think that's the hardest part is not really being able to experience a range of emotions in the workplace where, where I think they are warranted.
3: So I I think for me, I've been in consulting for 14 years. When I started my career, I was very reserved, right? I I didn't feel like I could be myself because of the perception of us in corporate America and don't want it to be seen as unprofessional or I hate this word ghetto. Mm-hmm. And it started to interrupt my psyche and my psychological being of why can I not be myself, right? I'm now at a space where I can be myself maybe 80% of the time, right? Because you still have to reserve some of that 20% of the time, right? I'm not going to tell my coworkers I went to a day party or something like that, right? So can't go Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in regards to how I act in the workplace, I'm at the stage of my career where coworkers are asking me to be their mentors. One was like, hey, the way you are in person or the way you are outside the office is kind of the same way you are in. And that meant a lot because it took a while for me to get to that spot, right? Learning myself and making sure that when I'm in the office, I'm not losing any essence of myself to try to please the eight and a half by 11s.
0: (laughs) No, yeah, I feel that. I think that comes with experience and learning that there is a little bit of yourself that you can be and people just kind of have to accept it, whether they do or not, you know, that's up to them. But Mm. I think I've had the issue where sometimes I'm an extroverted introvert, so Mm. I can be lively. I can be, you know, center of attention, but a lot of times I'm just very quiet, like to just, you know, not engage. (laughs) Um, And so I feel like sometimes if my energy isn't always at 100 all the time or up, it's always like, oh, are you okay? Are you disgruntled? And it's like, no, I'm just (laughs) chilling. This is just how I am. This is my personality. So I think it's like, you're damned if you do. If you're too much, then it's an issue. But too little as well, then you're angry or you're, you know, not pleasant. There's something wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: I feel like Black folks, more than any other race, you know, we are masses at compartmentalizing, right? We do that in our social circles. So the same friends that you talk turn up with you may not talk business with right mm-hmm. and i feel like that's the same way in the office you just have to determine in which compartments you would put certain co-workers in whether they're co-workers that you would want to drink with or co-workers that if you see them on the weekend you're not going to duck around the corner because you don't want to see them that you're actually going to say hey you know so i think yeah. part of kind of navigating through these corporate waters is figuring out you know where to compartmentalize certain folks and how to mm-hmm. do that in a way So that it doesn't feel like it's not inclusive.
2: Yeah. I think the going back to also, Avery, and what you said about having experience, it's the second that you start to feel more confident in like your actual skill set, the less you have the need. I know what I bring to the table, and you either accept that with me as a person or you lose out on the shareholder value that I'm bringing here. So I feel like that's another level of it. You can't tell me nothing about who to be if I know I'm delivering XXX in terms of what you need. So there's so many layers into how long it takes to get to that place. But I think that the good thing about like the incoming workforce is that they don't care. <laughs> They're coming in here and they... they don't.
0: They're inspirational, I feel sometimes.
3: In a way. They treat Microsoft Teams like Twitter. Like one of yeah. my team members um, wrote bump in <laughs> their message. And I was like, bump? Like, isn't that like something you use on like other group chats? Yeah,
0: no. Some things I'm like, y'all need to get it together. But other times I'm like, no, they're right. But if I, mean,
3: like, yeah. I mean, it, it metamorphosized met over time, right? Because the way my grandma told my mom how to deal with corporate is different than how my mom told me to deal with corporate, right? Like when I first got to yeah. corporate America, mom was had this antiquated idea of being the first one in last one out, you know, keep your head down, speak when spoken to. And I, and it felt very, yeah. yes, sir. And now as I've navigated, I realized that it's kind of shifted in a way where you can kind of be yourself, but then this new generation just kicked that door down. And
1: yeah. So another question that we have for you guys, what, are your thoughts on code switching? Do you guys code switch in corporate settings? Do you think it's necessary? I think it really ties into a lot of what was just said.
2: You know what? I'm gonna I'm lean into the fact that I am a very suburban Black girl. I have always been like the girl that's like, oh, Why you talk so white? Why you act like this? So I got to say, I don't think I have to do too much code switching just because I don't think my personality diverges that much in that Mm -hmm. way. However, I think to your point, I work presently, like my office really just has a lot of older people than me. They're all British and we're not in the same life space, life stage. So in terms of code switching, there are just certain things that we're not having conversations about, we're not getting into. And so I almost mm-hmm. have like a little bit of a built-in shelter here because I'm not best friends with 54 year old John. It's not happening. <laughs> <So> <laughs> that's like, uh, and to be fair, I don't think I have the reason to do it as much here, which I think we'll touch on the difference in America and difference here. I find that a lot of the walls that I had as someone who works in this industry don't really exist here. I've just really haven't experienced most of the issues that I had before. So I haven't found it necessary. However, I think to that point, I'm always that 20%. I'm always keeping that part to me. Like the job just can't have everything. I know I'm great and I know y'all want it, but it's all right. It's not happening. Love that.
3: I think for me, when we look at the general denotation of code switching is just based on changing your language. Right. So your phone voice, Mm -hmm. I was teased because I didn't have a a Bronx accent growing up. Right. It wasn't like, how every Bronx person sounds like pop smoke. Um, (laughs) I don't sound like that or never sounded like that. So I would change what I say. Like I won't use as much slang and we kind of do that in all our circles, right? Like how I speak to my boys may not be how I speak to a group of women or how I speak to my circle might not be how I speak to Brad and Chad, right? Mm-hmm. I remember when I was speaking to a partner and I called him an OG and he was like, what's an OG? And He asked me for like a week what's an OG was and I finally told him he was like, oh, okay. But I'm like, I don't want to have to do yeah. that all the time. And I think we talked about it, right? Uh, compartmentalizing your personality or the different code. There's different languages and codes. Just like you exercise different aspects of your personality in your office is similar to mm-hmm. using different coding languages in... You know your professional career so
0: yeah i would agree i think for me it's more slang than anything yeah that's what i switch in and out of mm-hmm. depending on comfortability who i'm speaking to exactly yeah then sometimes the slang will come out i think also working in the uk i get away with slang a little more because i'm from the u.s because they're just like oh you're just you're just american <laughs> <laughs> this is american that's just how she speaks So it's it's less of a code switch because I'm just like, well, that's just who I am. You're going to love it or not. Either way, what I'm saying is what matters. Like, (laughs) You know what I mean? Not how I say it. But I don't give that to everyone. It's the people that I'm closer to or who kind of look like me. Exactly. I
1: copy all the sentiments above. I'm able to give a little bit of myself. I definitely use some slang here and there with people that I feel comfortable with. But I've always been the Black girl that's well-spoken, So it's usually just toning down the slang that I use and who I'm necessarily using it with.
0: I think sometimes it's a mental game, too. One of the things I notice when you're in corporate settings as a Black person, there's just so many mental mind hurdles and games that you're constantly playing that you don't even realize it
3: in addition to the
0: work. Um, I saw a comment on TikTok, and it was, working in corporate is the job, and then the things you do for the job is the side job. So, like... Just navigating all that is the actual job sometimes.
3: And in, in consulting, it's even harder because consulting is one of those fields that's a bureaucracy where it's what you know as, as one portion, who you know is another, but also who knows you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When you join consulting, you're given a, uh, like at, at my firm, we have a, a performance leader and they're your advocate. They're the person that's gonna be in those rooms when we're discussing performance to speak on your behalf. Right? Mm-hmm. And the way I see consulting spaces is similar to college. Those that got those jobs out of college weren't just those that got the 4.0, it was those that had 3.7, but they were involved in many different things. I found it a point to myself to get involved strategically in things that are visible, that, that put my name out there, so that you can have more advocates in the room outside from the person raising your name up. I'm not
0: like a consultant, but a lot of what my role is at my company is kind of consulting and giving people counsel on what they should do how to mitigate risk mm-hmm. with the content that we distribute and so a lot of it is who you've worked with and if people feel like they should listen to you so it's like making these connections oh you worked with this team and then they're like oh yeah go to Avery and she knows you know what I mean so it it is all about making those connections in that way yeah.
2: I definitely have found that like the relationship aspect of my job and for admittedly for many years that didn't really Quite care about it. I, I had a life outside of work and I had my job and I wasn't fully convinced of what my career path was going to be until like the last couple of years and moving to the UK I will say that the relationship aspect seems so much more important there's a different there's a different correlation between who people know you as and mm-hmm. your success and the advertising industry here is actually very very small and there's only one like but so many different agencies so eventually everybody works at each one they've crossed paths with this boss that boss it's been very eye-opening for me because I have a very people job for somebody that does not like people and so like <laughs> <laughs> so, you,
3: you probably come home like ah oh, have to deal with people all yeah you?
2: you know it's an element of skill, but really, like, how do you translate that skill to value for other people? And that's what mm-hmm. people remember, right? Like, so I always try to walk into the room leading with skills first. I don't really care if you like me that much. I care that the next time you run into a hurdle, you're going to remember how good I was at that thing. When you're thinking about, like you said, Avery, and the, the mental gymnastics that as an African-American, you go into a room and you're the only one in there. Yeah. If you already have like an unsureness about the things that you're doing, those two things conflate and make it almost impossible to get over that symptom. So it's like really hone in, stand on your credentials, stand on your ideas and walk into that room knowing you got the best idea in the place.
0: Make it till you make it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Stand on business.
1: Exactly. So jumping off the script a little bit, you guys speak about the importance of essentially like networking and who, you know, Has there ever been a point in time during your career where someone has been pointed in your direction and you felt like they didn't take you as seriously because you are a Black person?
2: I think so. I think definitely earlier in my career, I had less demonstrated skill, if that makes sense. Like, I didn't have Mm a really large portfolio. I think in those circumstances, someone was taking a chance on me. I could say 50-50 on if I lived up to that chance or if I didn't. But I Mm -hmm. think that, again, I was operating from a place of insecurity, not feeling like I had the right kind of education or the right kind of background. I made a career switch technically pretty early on in my mid-20s, moving from like an administrative role in the finance sector to going into advertising. So at the beginning, I was really like... I didn't know what to think. I don't think anyone knew what to think of me. And I was still Mm -hmm. trying to figure out if I was even going to be good at this. It took me a long time. And I think that there were two elements of it where I was very, very green and I was trying to walk into rooms with people that were quite senior, but then also where there was not a connection between us. And I take from that, like there were a lot of cultural differences. Um, I actually started my advertising career in Texas and that alone came with a lot of struggle um Mm -hmm. i'm so glad i don't live in texas no more and as a smaller also glad i don't live in california no more because it's a struggle living in some of these communities where the, the political landscape then also plays so deeply into how people are viewing you so when we are having you know like Everything that's happened between like 2018, 2020, you've got George Floyd, you've got the like all of those things create environments that there isn't a place to remove your perception of people because it's so ingrained in the conversation. And I think that plays a really, really big role into how people walk into. But again, coming into the UK, I don't deal with none of that because the political discourse is not the point of conversation in people's lives and it removes that layer pre-notions and pre-misconceptions to be fair out of the conversation you can step in more sure of yourself and not kind of this outside view
3: yeah i think it's a venn diagram of confidence competence and imposter syndrome so i recently switched groups so you know i've been in my firm for five years i've been aligned to our FS sector, I kind of wanted to learn a new skill, wanted to learn Oracle, so I recently made a switch in October, the beginning of my fiscal year. The projects that I was just on were my first Oracle projects, right? I'm a PM, I know how to manage a project, and I let that side kind of eclipse my ability to manage a project, and people saw that. They saw that he doesn't know Oracle, so they wouldn't take me seriously. As I started to get my knowledge of Oracle and knowledge of the process kind of down pat, that's when people started to understand, okay, he knows what he's talking about. It's not just a, a PM that's just there to, to move and block and tackle. He can talk the talk and he can he can be in the room and, and it doesn't sound foreign to him. So I feel like as you navigate, because I know when I first I got my first performance review and I was like, man, did I make the right move? Am, am I competent enough? And I, I feel like we deal with that imposter syndrome all the time where we don't feel like we made it, even though, In our culture, a lot of people think we have made it, but we still feel like we don't because of the opinions of others. Mm -hmm. But the more that you stand on your business and you know your background and know your certifications and know your qualifications, the more that can eclipse any opinion anyone has of you because you can talk to
2: Well, can I double down on the perception? Because if you grew up in a Caribbean household, (laughs) what people think of you is paramount of like, how you move mm-hmm. and like, especially when you have a big family and some of them full of troublemakers, cause I know mom is yeah. like, you know
1: they just be saying stuff. Yeah, just be talking.
0: You can't say that to people. You wonder why I have issues.
1: No filter.
0: Yeah, I really
2: think, you know, that is the foundation of why a lot of times mm-hmm. you feel so strongly about, okay, I walked in, what's that person looking at me like? What's that person saying? It goes so much deeper because, I know in moving, when my parents moved us to Long Island and we're in this kind of new environment where we don't see a lot of people that look like us, like that's the focus a lot of times to that point. My parents are like, we made it. We are in the suburbs, we got a house. But then that comes with a whole lot of other very uh some microaggression some aggression aggression and then all those experiences translate into what you then do you know in adulthood until you go to therapy you talk through it you learn about it like those are the times that those that that begins to change Mm -hmm. um but it's really crazy how focusing on other people's perception can really warp what you think about yourself Mm
0: -hmm. Mm mm-hmm You just mentioned something really interesting, Chantal, with talking about microaggressions. And that was one of our next questions, actually. What are some of the microaggressions you guys have experienced?
2: The biggest one, and this has happened to me at two companies, is I've found that I've oftentimes ended up at smaller companies that have less of a diverse workforce, which is fine. There's nothing inherently wrong with that until they start asking you to get involved in the DE&I. And what I say to that is, run, girl. <laughs> Oh, that's happened to me. It's always very performative and temporary in terms mm-hmm. of like what they're looking for. I don't know if anybody else has experienced how we're seeing the DEI folks truly like losing their jobs. They're reevaluating those positions. And it's mm-hmm. just one of those further like evidences of the fact that that's not what they care about. They cared about the the immediate gratification of looking like you were doing something But looking like you're doing something is hiring more than brown people to be in the background is it's looking at your executive team. And, you know, one of the things that I've taken a lot of issue with is having these like really intense conversations about POC visibility. And, you know, there's always these things that they'll say of like, well, you know, right now we just we just don't have the we don't have the place. We're not hiring for C-suite, and you know, then seeing them hire, like I'm telling you, my job hired a trifecta of white men to fill a void that I just know if they had hired a black woman, would have been
3: all. <laughs> she probably would have got paid fifty k less.
1: Way less.
2: I mean, I look at the recent Harvard president that just stepped down, and I think yes. that there were a lot of people that wanted her to fight, but I think she was well within her right to say, like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to let you sit here and tarnish my name. I feel like I felt really good for her having that boundary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Going back to microaggressions, though, I think, like, there's too many to count. I'll say this, which I thought it was quite nice because I think she truly was just confused. And I had a coworker ask me, like, oh, yeah, you know, I love going swimming before and after work. You should totally go. And she kind of backtracked and was like... (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, if you, if you like to swim, <laughs> like, I was meant like, to say if you can swim. <laughs> I was so like, you know, she was so sweet about it to be honest, and I was like, "No, ma'am, I don't. I'm not really a swimmer." And she's like, "Is it the hair?" I was like, "Girl, no, I just don't know how to swim." <laughs> oh
1: my gosh, yes. you
2: were right in your first <laughs> in your first observation
1: that I don't know how to swim, girl. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> It's little things like that, though, like just like general conversations, people don't realize these are microaggressions, you know? And going back to Chantal, what you were saying about diversity, equity, inclusion, I think that it's important for these institutions to realize like, okay, you might want to check a box for diversity, but it's also important to note that once you have diverse employees, they need to feel included inclusion is a huge part of diversity and i think that's a part that a lot of people aren't taking into account
3: yeah this whole dei trend performative nature of it that bothers me where yes. everyone says oh, i'm an ally but they don't know what being an ally really means right are you really go- are you really going to no. be on the front no. lines with us or are you just saying you're an ally so that you could feel better about your white guilt right mm-hmm. in terms of microaggressions i've had some of the off the wall microaggressions like going into an elevator And someone holding their purse in the office. I'm like, we're going to the same floor, yo.
0: Like, I'm going to steal from you. (laughs) (laughs) On camera.
3: (laughs) I remember in 2020 when everything was going on and the riots were happening. I remember we was on a call. You know, they usually start calls with, like, small talk. And at the time, my profile picture was, like, me in front of a building, right? So this woman goes, yeah, you know, they're rioting. And it doesn't make sense that they're you know, messing up our buildings. Like, will like I see your profile picture and I wonder if the building behind you is okay. And I'm like, if the building behind me is okay.
1: Ask me if I'm okay.
3: And it's funny because that was the one call where I didn't have my headphones on. And even my girlfriend wife now, she looked back like, did she just say what? And I think sometimes they just don't really understand their filter. They don't really know. They live in their own bubble where like our culture doesn't really exist until someone from their culture brings it over. Case in point. Mm-hmm. The Travis Kelsey fake.
1: I don't even want to talk
3: about that. <laughs> like <laughs> like, I really like, like, like twerking, right? When Molly Cyrus was twerking on Robin Thick, it was like, what is twerking? What is this? Down to like headscar. But that goes to show that we kind of pay attention to not just our world and our culture, but all the cultures around us. And they kind of stay in their own exactly. little bubble. Um, even during during the whole George Floyd, I had a partner call me and was like, I had no idea this was going on. Like, I didn't, you know, I've been in my own little world. And a part of it is they're probably not in environments that we are in, right? They're not in environments where they're the only. They're not in environments where, you know, they don't have anyone that they can relate to because they're always going to have someone to relate to. Whereas I'm sure we've all been in spaces where we're the only one, right? Going back to our conversation about cold twitching, what you talk about way you act even down to the way you dress right like i try to make sure that i'm fully dressed to impress even though my co-workers walk in with dusted vela sneakers and uh, a polo shirt and i'm like i'm wearing a suit and tie because my perception if i was to wear that outfit would be different than how you're perceived now and you're wearing that same
1: 100 percent. so
3: well
1: i mean I
2: think all of our parents, to some extent, probably had that conversation with when they give 100, you give 200, yes. right? Like that's the way that you're going to get ahead. And that comes down to your appearance, that comes down to your work output. It's all of that. And I think one of the things that I find a lot of strength in is that we are capable of going into rooms where otherwise we might be told that we don't belong. And let me tell you, if you have someone from the other side try and do the exact same thing, watch the meltdown watch mm-hmm. the issue like you know and I take a lot of pride in that that takes a certain level of mental mm-hmm. strength and you can only develop that through some level of adversity and some level of really having to defy the the odds around that and you know you take that for what it is you don't want to have to say that that's how I got here but I'm going to stand on that all day I did it because I had the determination and the willpower to make sure that I was seen and make sure that I was heard yeah
3: it's even down to how we perceive work-life balance, right? Like I'm sure we've worked with folks that they're answering emails at 6 a.m. and they're answering emails at 8 p.m. And as a black individual in corporate America, you probably feel like, oh, is that, do I need to respond to that email at 6 a.m.? Do I need to respond that to that email at 10 p.m.? Um, and it can also mess with your psyche from a work-life balance perspective. In 2021, I was on this project and the director was a handful to deal with, uh, so to speak, where every morning I had anxiety opening my laptop. Every time I heard the Microsoft Teams ping, I felt like I had to like rush out of bed to answer the ping. And I was ready to leave the firm. Come to find out, there are a lot of us at the firm that have had mishaps with this woman. And But she's so well connected with like partnership that she's untouchable. I switched groups because I didn't want to deal with her. Simply put, we're going to cross paths at some point because we're both in FS. I don't want to deal with you ever again. So I'm going to just switch groups to somewhere where it's not as political that I can make my way. And there's a a strategic reason why I'm doing it outside from the, the personal beef. But
0: yeah. Establishing those boundaries are real. It is. Especially with the whole return to office. It's making very clear boundaries. And honestly, once I close my laptop, I'm done. Like, I may see your email coming. Like, that's tomorrow's problem. And as much as I want to respond to it sometimes, I'm just like, no, like, you got to have clear boundaries. You got to set these boundaries. Otherwise, you will be working all day, all night, and people would not care.
1: Yeah, I definitely had to, in the past, have conversations about what is expected of me. Because, again, people are responding to things at 6, 7, 8 p.m. Should I be responding or am I off the clock? Like you guys said, like I'm not understanding. So what is expected of me? You know, just to make sure like lines aren't blurred. And obviously if it's any emergency, I'll respond or you could text me. Like I've had conversations where my supervisor would say like, if it's urgent, I'll shoot you a text. But sometimes you have to be able to set those clear boundaries. And if you feel like it's, getting kind of muddy you might have to have that conversation like what what is the expectation because I need to know if I'm not responding then that might come up in my review like oh well you don't respond to emails oh I don't because you sent me an email at 9 p.m. I didn't know I was supposed to respond to that
3: I had a conversation about that with my my counselee um she's going through a lot of medical stuff but also she just joined the new project and one, she was worried about taking time off for medical, which it's crazy in the U.S. We have guilt of not working, right? Like yeah. if my wife decides in between meetings, she wants to take a nap. She's like, oh, I feel guilty. I'm like, well, that's your self-care. Oh, yo. you're, you're part of the nap ministry. You'll enjoy that nap. My counselor dealt with that. She was like, well, this project, like people are emailing at 5 a.m. People are emailing at 10 p.m. And. I feel like I have to respond. And I feel like if I don't respond, it'll be perceived as negative. And I tell her straight up, like you have to have your boundaries and you have to look at the perception of what they're going through, right? They probably answering those emails or sending those emails out because they probably have meetings from nine to five. And we all know after the meetings, you still have to work. So early in the morning and at night is probably where they can actually get work done. But they also need the caveat of, while it suits me to email now, I don't respect the response or action, yes.
0: Yeah.
3: right? Like I put that in my email signature, right? Because sometimes I do send 5.00 AM emails because if I know I'm going to be in meetings from nine to six, let me just knock out all my emails now. But I put in the signature, yep. while this suits me to email now, I don't respect the response or action outside of your own working hours. Love that. And that yep. helps people to realize like he doesn't require a response unless I have that little, uh, you know, I, I use Outlook, the little red uh, exclamation says, yeah, I priority. priority. Yeah. Like, yeah, I need you to respond like now. But if, if I need you to respond like yeah. now, I would text you, I would call you, I would do something else. I wouldn't email. Exactly. So.
2: I think I've always, one good thing about being in the UK is that we, my team here operates so different and the way in which, like, we have a lot of latitude. I think part of it comes from, again, having experience and having people trust you. You're less likely to get a really weird response about saying I'm gonna be offline from 10 a.m. to 12 if you're someone that gets your stuff done. Yeah, that's the way that I kind of deal with people. Like, you are always gonna get the good side of me until you don't. And so when you start to, you know, mess some things up, then I'm gonna start looking at you sideways and be like, well, let's talk about how you're you're dealing with your time. Um, but that said. If you need to go and do something between 9 and, and 11 but you're telling me that you could get to things like oh I'll get to it after I eat dinner or, I'll do that like that's the kind of communication that enables people to have real work life balance. This job is not your life. I mean it pays your bills but does it, you know, support your wife? Does it support your partner? Does it encourage you to be healthy? those are the things that are to be prioritized. And I will say, like, I've always referred back to this, like maybe it was a meme or something like that. In America, it'd be like, here's my out of office. I'm going into open heart surgery. I'll be back at 2.30. Like, you know, like, or, mm-hmm. don't worry, just hit me up on my phone. I'm still here. Like, yeah. you know, I will say that that expectation and it could be just the team that I'm working with is very different here. But that actually enables me to do a little bit better because I have that time to invest in myself and be able to work. So I I probably am sending those 6 a.m., 8 a.m. To be fair, I also work across like several different time zones and continents. But I think that's really, it's about personal accountability. And I truly believe that one of our most important things in our toolbox is time management Mm -hmm. because that's what creates balance. Like I think people get really overwhelmed if they miss something, not realizing if they just were more effective at managing their time, that stress doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's something, you know, high schools and all, like think people should be really investing in learning because that's gonna make the difference in and out of
3: work. Work smart, not hard. Yeah, Work smart and hard, but working yeah. smart is better for your psyche than working hard.
0: Yeah. Before we jump to the end of the microaggressions, I just have to say my favorite microaggression was when a colleague of mine mistook me for another person
1: uh <laughs> it's happened to me so many times so many and times and we got
0: like we get on the elevator she's talking to me about this stuff and I'm just like <laughs> who do you think I am so she goes you can sit over there I'm like I don't think I am who you think I am <laughs> and she goes yeah. oh my gosh Avery, I'm so sorry and luckily she's a different person certain people it would have been an issue but it's just little things like that you know yeah Do you ever get that where people say to you, like all of a sudden they just start saying like slang to you? Yes. Yes. Why are you talking like that? Yeah. And there's some people who I'm like, okay, that's how you speak. I get it. There's other people. I'm like, are you just saying that to me? Did you say yo to somebody else or is it to me? No. What's that Dave Chappelle skit when
2: he's talking to the lawyer? He's like, (laughs) (laughs) zippity-doo-dah.
0: Exactly. (laughs) So literally...
2: Zip it
3: up and zip, zip it, it up. up. <laughs> well my coworkers think I'm younger than what I am, so they use some of this new slang. Like one of the guys I was talking to was like, Yeah, this is so gas. I was like, Huh? Sorry. <laughs> I never felt so old in my life. Like, yeah, gas. It means it's it's dope. I was like, why, why don't you just say dope, man? But yeah, they, they they start to use slang around me because I don't I don't hear it when they're talking to other people. So they also code switch to feel comfortable around me. Like, I'm cold switching yes. around them. Their, their term yeah. of cold switching is a little more offensive, a lot more offensive.
0: Yeah. I would yeah. rather you just, just yeah. say hello. You don't have to hit me with a yo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you yoing me for?
3: It's kind of weird because I, I kind of do the same thing. I'm sure you guys seen the Key and Peel skit where like Obama's like giving <laughs> handshakes to white folks. and the, I kind of do that. Yeah. Like, and I, I don't realize how. I don't know if that comes across as like not inclusive, but yeah, it's annoying. Mm -hmm. I hate I hate the slang. It is. I never use slang. Aside from me calling the partner an OG, I never use slang in the office. So.
0: So you weren't too gassed about it.
3: (laughs) I wasn't too gassed about it at all.
0: Any of you ever
1: been led to believe that your hair is unprofessional, and do you avoid certain hairstyles because you don't want to be perceived? As being unprofessional?
2: I think I could do a whole episode about my hair and perception. And I will say that it's generally been pretty easy because for lack of a better word, I'm leaning into the European. I've always had long, long extensions. I think the one thing that I probably think about most is color and being dramatic and anything mm-hmm. that's very distracting. However, It's so funny reading through these questions because twenty five year old me was really concerned about this stuff. Yeah, thirty four year old me is walking in there with dreads, be like, "Oh, you think I'm idiots?" (laughs) Like, there's no like, (laughs) I'm not shying away from this. (laughs) I think that also comes with a level of like personal confidence and being comfortable in who you are, like I'm less afraid. I think especially now and working in the tech space, the idea of a professional person and what that person looks like is very different than it was years ago. So if you can walk up on stage, tatted it up from here to here and all that stuff, guess who could walk up there with a blonde wig? I can do whatever I want as well because the content is exactly the same. And I just refuse to re- be really kept in that box anymore. Um, and so I, I don't, I don't find the the nerves around that. If you have a problem with that, that's because of your own bias, and you need to look at that and consider trying to adjust, to talk to a therapist, to talk to your mama, but don't talk to me. So yeah, <laughs>
3: exactly that. So as y'all see, I, I don't very low cut, so I, I haven't had issues with like my hair. But I do want to comment on the topic of professionalism, right? Mm-hmm. From an appearance perspective, I remember I used to be a, a calculus tutor when I was in high school, and I went to the tutoring center. I was wearing an Allen Iverson jersey and some Pepe jeans, so you could tell where I'm from. Pepe. <laughs> this is tall black dude walked in, observed for a minute. He was like, "If if I didn't know you were the tutor, I would have thought you were a student. You need to dress better and all this stuff." And that was my first example of first understanding of it's crazy of the unconscious bias people have based on how you look and yeah it's now in like legislation right um you go, you guys heard about the young man who had locks and he got suspended from school and i'm like what does his hair have to do with professionalism especially because to, to chantal's point i know people that come into office with a full tatted sleeve right like and, and and they roll their sleeves up so you can see all the tattoos so how is that different than someone coming in with hair what's the the guidelines for professionalism these days when there are a lot of folks of the 8.5 by 11 region not following those perceived notions of professionalism
0: i totally echo those sentiments i think the generation before me and my family obviously i'm of caribbean descent Mm -hmm. you know people have dreadlocks and stuff like that i know many people in my family who have had to cut their locks because it wasn't seen as professional when they were working it's crazy that now we're, we're just finally getting to the point where people are realizing that they have to just let people have their hair, however they want to have their hair. And that's not considered unprofessional just because it's not something that you would normally do with your hair. Yeah.
3: But they can't do it with their hair.
0: That part. Maybe trying though. I know y'all be seeing no, those them a Oh
3: man. Yeah.
0: yeah. Luckily enough, I don't think I've ever had that issue of me personally having people tell me my hair was unprofessional. I think also I've, I've always had a relaxer, perm, or I'll do braids, box braids. Mm -hmm. So I've never had that issue, thankfully. And I think a lot of it, too, is because before I was in corporate, I was working a lot in television, so no one cares what I look like in television. (laughs) And luckily in corporate, I've been in more like P.R.E. type jobs, and they're more like, just look fun, look cute, you know, as opposed Mm -hmm. to actually caring.
1: So in professional settings, um, I always felt the need have straighter hair you know like my hair right now like this is like my fun wig you know like it's my weekend wig like i have my corporate wig it's a longer (laughs) it's a longer straight wig you know but back in the day when i was just getting sew-ins i was having my leave out and i was completely damaging my hair and that's when i was like you know what like i need to take a step back And subconsciously, I did feel the pressure or I did feel judgment if I walked in with maybe box braids during the summer. You know what I mean? Obviously, people would ask questions like, oh, like, is that your your real hair? Yes. My biggest issue was always, is that your natural hair? What are you trying to get at? What are you saying?
2: Especially with the rampant way that other cultures wear extensions. This is not isolated to one set of people like it's the amount not. of women I know walking around the street or you get on their Instagram or TikTok let's say like influencers they've all got clippings. in mm-hmm. one thing I'm really glad about though is what and I wish I knew this is that hard wig soft life I've been doing it wrong this whole time <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> agreed and way too much time on the bus downs and it's not even worth it. <laughs> also, yeah. if
0: you're in a corporate setting, they don't know the difference. Anyway. They, don't.
2: they don't know what's a good one versus what's not a good one. So here I am wasting all this time and energy trying nope. to fit into this place when I could have run it through the dryer and just put it right back on. <laughs> not, the dryer. not That the dryer, is funny. Girl. I can't.
3: That name? is hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Add some Febreze to it or something.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But with all these topics, microaggressions, having your hair or your dress be called unprofessional, have you ever been baited into unprofessional behavior? I know sometimes we've been in some situations and you just want to, you know.
2: Mm. I sure have, and I'll do it again. Like, I- <laughs> <laughs> listen. And I am not here advocating for you to lose it on your managers, your coworkers. But what I am saying is, again, like we were saying, stand on business. One thing you're not going to do is disrespect me. And if I know you are, I'm going to let you know that I know. We are not playing this game where you think you are getting one over on me. If you tell me something is bull, I'm going to let you know that I know that it is and that you know that it is. And, you know, like we're not playing this circular game. I don't do that. I wouldn't do it in my personal life. And I sure as hell I'm not doing it here. And I think you're more likely to be able to do that when you're able to stand on everything else that you stand for. So you stand on your performance. You stand on your conduct. You stand on your relationships. Once you have those things, it becomes a lot easier to not take the book. Like it really does. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes you have to let them know Yes, maintain that integrity, but you can't let people take you for a fool because if they do it once, they'll do it again. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really important to especially like new people coming into this industry, younger people like you don't have to lose your sense of self to work at a job. And if any job tries to make you do that, that's not the place for you, unless you feel like you're going to change it. But I'm going to guarantee you 90 times out of 100 and no change in people that have already been set in their ways.
3: So I used to have a very bad temper. Um, So I've learned to take my emotions and kind of bottle it up and use it elsewhere. So right now for me, it's the gym. But there was one time where I had to step outside of those um, emotional boundaries a bit. And one time I got feedback from a manager at a project that I was working on and it wasn't based on performance. He said two things. He was like, one, you know, we're out of budget. But if the client's not if the client's not asking for you back, then you probably didn't do a good job. And I was like, well, that's that's kind of BS. We just you just told me we had a budget, so it's probably not a performance thing. It's probably the fact that yeah. they don't have the budget for my for my Funny. rate, dummy. But then he was like, oh yeah, they also want to comment on your suits. Like you don't have to wear a suit every day. Um, Uh, We don't wear a suit, so why are you wearing a suit every day? And he just didn't get the fact that, one, we're we're at a bank, so I'm going to wear a suit. But two, I don't see why that's bothering you, why the clothes that I buy is bothering you. They, They weren't gaudy. They weren't, you know, I wasn't wearing a lime green suit. I wasn't dressed like Andy Bernard in the office. Like, I was dressed, you know, like a finance bro. I had to, like, really check him because I just think he just didn't like me. And he was using that exit interview as a way to, like, tell me what he thought of me. Yeah. And I had, you know, like Chantal said, stand on business, say, hey, listen, these are my qualifications. Mm-hmm. I know I know what I'm capable of. Everything that you're saying to me does not move the needle, right? I'm gonna wear a suit tomorrow, it's not gonna move the needle. So
0: Yeah, he definitely has something yeah. to get you. I mean, bring up the suit Clearly, That's weird.
2: To twist that knife to yeah. just be I'm, like, I'm not wearing a okay. Steve
3: Harvey suit. I'm not I'm yeah. not wearing a, a denim suit, you know what I'm saying? Gator. Like I'm not wearing a gator suit, I'm wearing a navy suit. Like I don't understand why why okay. I bothered you. But then I also realized Half of how I react to things, it's not what they say, it's the, the way that they deliver it. And sometimes I do have to yeah. check them on how yeah. they deliver things, right? Like when you... The
1: tone.
3: When I feel like as a coworker, you're talking at me and not to me, then I have to check, you, mm-hmm. right? Because the only people that can talk at me is probably my mom, right? Like that's the only person that could talk at me because she raised me, right? And mm-hmm. so she slapped me on the back of my head and say, yo, chill out, right? But aside from that, mm-hmm. And if sometimes my wife, you know, my wife, because she could talk at me because, you know, I have to like- <laughs> <laughs> answer. If, as a co-worker, if I feel like you're talking at me for a job that really, at the end of the day, doesn't really matter because no matter what we put in, you can get riffed tomorrow. I'm going to check. Yeah. It. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Luckily, I haven't been baited into like unprofessional. Well, no, let me, let me take that back. I have been baited into unprofessional waiver, but I haven't like took the bait, if that makes sense. I think because I'm kind of a laid back person, people don't realize I do have a quick temper. Like I can go from zero to hundred real quick if I feel disrespected. So I'm always willing to check somebody. I'm willing to be like, hey, don't let this laid back Avery and fool you. Like I, we can go, I'm, I'm gonna go toe to toe with you. Um, so I think for me, I always just match energy. So if you're gonna come at me crazy, I'm gonna come Not at you crazy back with a smile. And I'm gonna hit you with the thanks, smiley face. don't play but yeah sometimes i do have to check people i will say that i think especially here sometimes people be hitting you with that flowery language and pretending like you can't read through the signs and i'm just like "Mm." yeah just because you asked me how my weekend was doesn't mean you could check me like that (laughs) so it's just yeah matching the energy is what i usually do
1: yeah since we have Avery and Chantal working in the U.K., I was wondering, do you think there are any differences between being Black in corporate America versus corporate life in the U.K.? It's a different
0: culture. There's a very much a different culture in general. I think sometimes being an American working in the U.K., I'm very conscious of how I speak sometimes. I think being from the Northeast, just like a little more you know punchy we're just right to it you know i don't want to say aggressive because not aggressive but we just like more assertive sometimes in the mm-hmm. way we speak. i think
2: assertive is the right word
0: yeah we're yeah. more assertive and i think also just being american in general we're just assert where our culture is just very straight assertive to it. no matter where you're from we're just straight to it we start a conference call we're just let's get to business i don't mm-hmm. have time to talk about the weather i got a meeting after this and i still gotta do some stuff uh, whereas in the UK, it's like, how you doing? Let's spend 15 minutes talking about what we did this weekend. The
2: way I have to turn my camera off sometimes during the fluff piece, honestly, love you, Janet. Don't care what you did this weekend. I've got something to do. <laughs> like.
0: Let's talk about the weather. It's the same all the time. It rains. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's a difference. Sometimes I've definitely flowered up my language a lot. I was like, hey, how are you? How's it going? Yeah. What was your weekend? As opposed to just being like, "Hey, did you submit this? Still waiting?" You know, um, I think that's different for me.
2: I think I actually, Avian, go back in my emails before I resend them and make sure that it starts with a "Oh, thanks for asking me how I'm doing." Because someone can ask me how I'm doing, and the only part of that email I read was what I needed to do. I did not read yeah. any of that, and I have to actually go back in and be like, "Oh yeah, that was nice." Blah blah blah. But preconceptions about people goes both ways right? Like I have preconceptions about people that I meet all the time. And so like, for example, if you tell me you're from Texas, I've got thoughts. But here, the scale of human experience is so much broader, because you have all of a sudden, I'm talking to someone who is from South Africa, and the the culmination of human experience is so different here than in the US. And I feel like it takes a level of the defensiveness, because I feel like there are a lot more commonalities, which I know sounds weird, but I just don't feel the kind of defensiveness I think I have had in having those interracial conversations, essentially, because I just feel like the concept of race seems incredibly different here in how they talk about it, how it's approached. Again, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. What I'm saying is that it doesn't exist in the same way that it does in the States.
0: It's not the forefront. I think in the UK, it's more about class, money first. That's more of the judgment before okay. race. I would more or less think someone judged me because I'm a woman before I thought they would judge me because I'm black, if that makes sense. Right. Okay. Okay.
2: Yeah, it's very different. The conversation is very different. And I'd actually say that the the conversation about race makes people a little bit more uncomfortable here. I don't think they have a grasp of how ingrained it is in the conversation. So I recognize myself that I was bringing it up a lot, not necessarily in a professional setting, but it was just, it's a talk track. It's something we talk about all the time. And I had to reel that back in because they don't care. Yeah. They don't care. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah Where things come up for us in the U.S., it's not the first thing that pops up with them, I, w- I will say in that regard. Yeah. You can okay. kind of just move more freely through life as opposed to always wondering, like, oh, is it because I'm black? Yeah. It like, you know, that's not always the first thing that pops into my head, which is good. I appreciate that, you know, to not always have to think about that sometimes is, really
2: nice between that and not having to think about the political bit so much you would be surprised at how much mental anguish is attributed to these conversations that are happening so often in the like you almost don't even realize that like wait why am I not stressed oh it's because I have no idea who's like it's just like- honestly <laughs> out of sight wow
0: we had a town hall the other day and the U.S. elections came up and someone asked me something. I was like, honestly? I have no idea. I forgot. (laughs) What? You just remind me, I need to do my absentee ballot. Like, I don't think about it at all. Not at all.
3: Sounds like we need to move.
0: (laughs) Yeah,
1: I was literally just about to say, okay, so I'm about to apply for my visa. I'll give myself until June.
0: You know, yeah. All right, sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely a different environment. And like we said before, that doesn't mean that the issue of race is not a topic. That is a topic Mm -hmm. still, you know, a predominantly white country <laughs> yeah that's always going to be an issue but i think it doesn't play up as much as it does in the u.s i think the u.s racism that's just the fabric of our country and so it comes out in everything we do
3: the u.s is the one country where we if you rep the u.k it's seen as patriotic but if you rep the u.s it's seen as racism yeah those trump jordas that are coming out the january 6th yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> the genuine
3: sixes, that's <laughs> wild. I'm it.
0: what would you say is the hardest part about being a black person in the corporate world in the corporate setting
2: everyone has it but the imposter syndrome i think it takes on a very different role when you are trying to overcompensate for who you are mm-hmm. not a misrepresentation of what you can do when you think that the issue at the core is something you absolutely cannot change about yourself, which is the color of your skin, that follows you really, really closely. And I think it takes it takes a lot of time and effort and intentional internal conversation to turn that off.
3: You my answer. I, mean, that's, that, that's, I feel like that's a quintessential thing that we all go through, that imposter syndrome, that self-doubt. So I was in Orlando for a training, it was, it was called the Momentum Program for all black managers trying to get to director, helping, helping us with a path to promotion, helping us figure out the skills and all that stuff. And we all, they asked us to write any of our doubts to get to the next level and post it on a Post-it. And 85% of the people in the room had the same thing of the um, imposter syndrome or not feeling like they're ready. There's also that feeling of not being supported and that feeling like, since you're the only one, you are putting, you are perceived as putting the black race on a pedestal and you are the voice of the black race for that particular organization. Yeah. During the whole George Floyd, my project teams, well, what do you think? I'm the only black person. So I feel like, well, I'm wearing this cape now. I got, I gotta, you know, represent our people.
2: People really underestimate how diverse the discourse is within our community and assume that we have one consolidated view on issues that come up. Like, I can't unify the response on this because that's that's not how community works. That's not how humans work. My experience is not going to be the same as everyone else that you encounter that looks like me. And I think that's a narrative that we need to push more.
0: Exactly. Yeah, no, I was actually going to say, my answer is a little twofold. The mental Olympics of having to just be at work and just navigating. And then mm-hmm. I was going to tie it to being the spokesperson for all black people. Yeah. And I think it's even worse when I'm in the UK. I am the spokesperson for all black people. I'm the spokesperson for all black people in America. Mm-hmm. So it was just twofold having to make sure that I put the best foot forward for the mm-hmm. whole race and the whole nation and whatever their experience with me is going to be their experience forever. You know what I mean? And tied to the next person that they meet who looks like me. So I think that has always been the toughest thing for me uh, and the mental Olympics of it, because I have a, you know, social battery and yeah, it's tough Tough out here.
1: No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Tying into what we were saying before, just not having the support, If you are having any issues, sometimes you feel like your white counterparts, they'll be able to ask questions. But if I ask a question, it's just like, I'm just not up to par, you know? So yeah, definitely not having that support. And I would also say other people not understanding that we have different experiences. We're not the same. Me going into work every day is very different from my white counterparts going into work every day. We aren't living the same lives. So I think it's just really important for people to acknowledge the fact that we are different and we are having different experiences. Right. Yeah. So with everything that we've been talking about today, I think it's also important for us to uplift younger Black people coming into the professional world. So does anyone have any tips for young Black professionals entering the corporate world?
2: Stand on business by business, stand on yourself, stand on your skills, because I think like, really going into that, that's going to help you propel and read the art of the negotiation. Learn how to come yes. to people mm-hmm. and ask for what you want mm-hmm. and be able to give real proof points of like, this is exactly why show them, you know, exactly what you are worth. Because you cannot be bulldozed when you approach the situation from that lens. I think a lot of us find it very easy to shrink from our own insecurities. And from that, you have to stand up and you have to show that you know exactly who you are.
3: I would say just learn whatever your respective industry or job is, learn how to play the game. Mm -hmm. You know, as as I mentioned, it's it's, for some, it's less about who you know. It's more about who knows you. Figure out who's having a, a seat at that table and find ways to genuinely get to know them network don't be afraid to ask for help part of imposter syndrome is feeling like we can do it all and if Mm -hmm. we feel like we ask for help we're perceived as you know they can't do it versus leveraging other people's skills as a learning experience but leveraging those skills to to push you know whatever it is forward, a project or a job forward
0: i would agree with that networking is very important building those relationships I think a lot of times we don't do that and it sets us up for failure. So if you can build those relationships, get those people that you can trust, that's really important. Yeah, put yourself out there. Yeah, put yourself out there. I think it comes in with the imposter syndrome as well. We don't feel like we are able to do that. No, put yourself out there. Be yourself. Get to know people. You might not like everybody and that's fine, but you'll be surprised what you can find when you do that. I'd also say set your boundaries. I think that's a big one for me and not feeling that I need to overdo it uh, to prove something to anybody. So it's just setting those boundaries, whether it's times you're going to work, how you're going to be treated. Boundaries are important.
3: The one thing I'll also add, find a mentor. I think having a mentor, not only a black mentor, but a mentor of another race. Uh, Folks that you feel that you can, you can take your work hat off and kind of be yourself a little bit more than you could, your co-workers, someone who, as I mentioned, has a seat at the table that, that can speak on your behalf, and someone who's also well-connected to help point you in the right direction, two people that can help drive wherever you need to go in your career. Have a mentor, not only at work, but also outside of work as well. I think it's super important. That's a
1: really That's good really one. Helpful. Yeah. That's a really, really good one. Yeah. I would also echo a lot of what was just said, the importance of networking. I feel like when I came in, I think I was afraid to network. Don't ask me why. I guess I didn't want people to think I wanted something from them. But yeah, I did want something from them. Like I I was trying to make connections and I'm trying to get a job. Like what you talking about? Um, But yeah, so definitely the importance of networking and just be confident. Be confident in what you're doing. Be confident in your skill set. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't do X, Y, and Z. Because if you think you can, you can. So be confident. Walk in there. Have your head held high. And get to business. Get to work. You got this.
0: Yes. Guys, this has been such a great, great discussion. It's been so good learning from everyone's different perspective. It's been a really great combo. I've enjoyed this a lot. Yes, me too.
3: Thank you for having us. Is this one thing I've taken away from this conversation? Is I'm gonna move to the UK.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Copy (laughs) that. Thank you again to Will and Chantal for joining us for this very insightful conversation. I think there were a lot of important takeaways, and we really appreciate you guys joining us and just giving us your perspectives.
3: Thank you for having us.
1: Thanks, guys. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Spinning the Block Pod. Also
0: follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can find our channel by searching Spinning the Block Pod. Bye. Bye.